Speak softly loud and hold me warm against your heart. I hear your words, the tender trembling. Welcome, everybody. Another episode of Hollywood Godfather Podcast. And me and my camaraderie here, Pat Picciarelli, co author, friend. Good evening, everybody. And we're going to do. One of our favorite shows that we always do is the mailbag. We want to find out what you all are interested in. And I'll tell you, we've been getting some great, great material for shows. You who listen religiously know that. So we want to thank you all. Keep the cards and letters coming, emails, whatever they all are. And (laughs) thank you for them. Smoke signals, anything you got. Yeah, whatever. Okay. Okay. we're going to give a shout out to Eddie uh, uh, Soto, whose question we acted upon in uh, last week's episode on Marilyn Monroe. Uh, thank you very much, Eddie. And it goes for everybody else, too. Any ideas you have, let us know. So we have one from uh, Kathy. I've been listening ever since the very beginning. Love the show. You recently said that you would be appearing at the uh, Pala Casino in California on October 1st. Where can I get tickets as I was unable to find anything on the casino's website? They should be up this week. That answers your question, Kathy. Yeah, just go on the website. The tickets should be going up this week. And I would love to see you. Make sure I I know you're in the audience. How long are you going to be there, Jack? One night. One show? One show, one night. I do a show the night before, a private event where they're honoring me in San Diego. And I'm talking right now to Vibrato, Herb Albert's place in Bel Air, which his daughter Eden runs. I've done the show there years ago, but I thought while I was on the West Coast, a lot of people have asked me if I was going to come up to the L.A. area. So I'm in negotiations with them to see if we can make that work out so we'll have another show in that area. While I'm there, I might as well do three shows. Might as well. Yeah. What are they honoring you for? Uh, being uh, being unindicted for 50 years in a row? Yeah, uh, getting a little more than most people. Uh, yes, <laughs> more than anybody I know. Okay. No, they're, they're honoring me because I support my fellow Italian-Americans. And the Italian-American, which I've been supporting um, all that whole Italian area down there, Indian Street, down, down in uh, San Diego where most people don't realize that was probably one of the second largest heritage of Sicilians, fishermen, went there in New Orleans, and they're still there. Well, actually, uh, New Orleans was the first Little Italy. Right. People people think it was New York, but it wasn't. Right. Uh, They were trying to find New York, but they made a left, and you know. Yeah, hold on. But uh, Chicago on your left. I've, I've spent twenty years down there. I mean, uh, I know so many, so many of the guys. I mean, and 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 they're creating an Italian Hall of Fame, which I'm going to help launch and support each year. That's an honor. Yep, it is. It really is. Okay, uh, moving along uh, from uh, Courtney. Love the show, guys. Whatever happened to Megan? I guess you didn't listen to last week's show. Right. Miss her voice to Gianni and Patrick. This is something that's going to be actually a rhetorical question. 
because we've already answered it, but I, I, I like the last sentence in this email. Anyway, to Gianni and Patrick, what are your thoughts about the body in the barrel found uh, recently at uh, Lake Mead? Do you think it's mob-related? <laughs> I would I mean, think so. <laughs> I tell you, it, it, I never gave that any thought until she mentioned it, you know, so... Anyway, well, uh, definitely and, not Jack Cousteau. So <laughs> no, uh, there's there's a mob mob expert, and I use the word loosely that says it's uh, Tony Spilatro, but we don't know what we don't know where he's buried. Well, we all know where he's buried in Indiana, yeah, not like me, not like right. me. No, I mean I, there were. I mean, up until the '80s, that was a definite dropping off ground, uh, a dropping off place, if you want to use that word. <laughs> Dumping grounds, how's that? Yeah, and then they went to, uh, uh, the only reason I know, I know so many people who were doing it. Most mobsters or wannabe mobsters or people who did that kind of work had a 50-pound bag of lime and hefty bags in their trunk. Just in case? And I noticed a couple of guys' trunks. So what's this about? And they said, well, rather than have to go all the way to Lake Mead, you can go to the Valley of Fire, and the temperature goes to 120 degrees, put a human being in a hefty bag, open the bag of lime, and as his body's fluids come out and dehydrate, activates the lime, and in about a week, the, the bag blows across the desert. There's nobody in it. That reminds me, I'm hungry. I haven't had dinner yet. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I tell you, uh, these guys have innovative ways of getting rid of things. Oh, yeah, I know. it's. Uh... But no, uh, uh, Spilatro is, is accounted for, and he's not, he's not unlike me. Okay. Well, his group, that hole-in-the-wall gang, was, you know, they were treacherous guys. Come yeah, they're, they're all gone, too, now. Uh, oh, yeah, well, they're all gone, actually. Yeah. Uh, okay, Eddie, from Eddie. Love Patrick's stories of the NYPD. What an episode. Then he quotes, what time is it? That's what I, I made the reference to one of the questions on the entrance exam where uh, you saw a picture of, this is the NYPD entrance exam. These are the people who are going to guard you and keep you safe. There's a picture of a clock. The little hand is on the three and the big hand is on the nine. And the multiple choice question is, what time is it? Are you kidding me? No, I'm not kidding you. <laughs> I, took, I took the test. That question was on the test. I think I got it wrong. <laughs> anyway. uh, okay, and then he goes on to say, uh, where am I? What time is it? Okay, uh, question for Gianni. Since you know Brando, any insights on Marlon Christian, uh, Marlon comic uh, Christian? Uh, uh, he was allegedly involved as to, this is not grammatically correct, but struggling, as, as to Brando's point of view in the, Oh, this is going on and on. Bottom line is, what is our uh, take on the Bonnie Lee Robert Blake murder case? Well, I think we all know what happened there. He killed her. I That's my opinion. Well, you and, know what's interesting? I used to tell people, if you ever want to kill anybody, do it in L.A. They never solved the mystery. <laughs> <laughs> they never get it right. Think about it. I mean, I, I still think William Shackner... His wife didn't draw out by herself. <laughs> well, we don't want to get into that for no. uh, obvious reasons. But uh, anyway, for those of you who aren't aware of it, uh, Robert Blake, who played Beretta on television, he, uh, he was an, uh, nominated for an Academy Award 
for the movie In Cold Blood. He was one of the killers in that movie. He was one of his first movies. He was very good in that. Uh, he was nominated for uh, Electric Light in Blue. The guy was, in his time, a good actor. Oh, nobody had his own TV series. Yeah, yeah, Beretta. Beretta. That was yeah, he big. had a parrot on his shoulder for an hour yeah. a week. It was excellent. Uh, anyway, he was accused of uh, murdering his wife. And I thought it was done rather crudely. They were out eating in a restaurant. And uh, after dinner, it was a quiet dinner, just a regular dinner. They walked out to the car and he, he puts her in the car and says, whoops, I can't find my gun. He was licensed to carry a gun. And he went back into the restaurant and the, the pistol apparently fell between the, the, the back uh, uh, the back of the seat and the uh, and uh, the seat he was sitting on. He had to reach in to get it. And that happens at times. People lose their guns. Puts his gun back in his waistband or wherever he had it, goes back to the car, and lo and behold, his wife is dead, shot full of holes. That trial, uh, which I paid attention to, had all kinds of damning evidence. I mean, he one of one of the handymen that he knew uh, was asked, you know, can you take care of my wife? And if you can't, do you know anybody that could? And he still beat it. You know, O.J. Simpson beat his case. I think celebrity has a lot to do with this. What do you think? Well, I think, I mean, that whole, well, like I said, every case, you think about it, blatant evidence that they did it and they all walked. Well, and even if they didn't walk, uh, you know, cases like uh, uh, Christian Brando, who killed his sister's boyfriend. What did he want? I mean, it was out. He didn't say he didn't do it. What did he wind up with, four years? He got five years. He wound up doing uh, thirty-six months or something, like thirty-eight months. But Bob, then, then he, and then he came out and killed himself. Yeah. Well, so he, I he mean, showed them. there was a lot of a lot of problems there. So why do you attribute that uh, that sentencing to uh, a good lawyering or? Well, you know what it was. I, I was very involved in that, and I I, yeah, I, I, that. I yeah. talked to Brando a lot about it, and told him who to hire. He hired Robert Shapiro. The good news for Christian that his brother and sister, his brother-in-law and sister, had so many priors of domestic violence at the house to begin with, and he was constantly beating her up. So now that she was pregnant, Christian went to her defense with Brando's gun, and he said he accidentally went off. He went to threaten him and went off. But well, uh, uh, also, we should bring up that uh, the witness to the crime, which is Brando's daughter, fled the country before the trial. Oh, yeah, that's right. That was another piece of advice we wanted to they make sure that nobody, I mean, nobody yeah, you, had you anything to say. You know, they look at 36 months as a gift, but they had a weak case if they didn't have a witness. I know that was the whole thing, uh, anyway. Uh, but as you said, Jenny, celebrity has a lot to do with this, uh, I think. Oh, my God, yeah. Everybody else. Uh, he was defended by uh, Bob Shapiro, who, those of you who don't know, was on uh, O.J. Simpson's alleged dream team of, of lawyers. He had a platoon of the highest-priced lawyers in, in the country, and obviously it paid off. Well, his Such main a- client that got him the publicity first was Johnny Carson for DUIs, yeah. believe it or not. That's oh, how, yeah? And that's how he got his claim to fame. And then, Shapiro? Yeah, and everybody yeah. was hiring him. So he was a DUI lawyer. Originally, yeah. Yeah. And divorce lawyer too, you know, but then he got to be criminal cases that he was solving left and right. 
the Christian, the Christian one was a big one for him. Yeah, oh yeah. Well, that that was his. You know, every I think every profession has a a a, a point that you reach, and something happens where you can take off. Your career takes off. For me, honestly, it was it was our book. Right. Yeah. I oh, mean, for I'm you, in, really? Oh. I'm in great demand because of, of, of your book. Our book. People actually know who I am. You know, even even you're starting to remember my name. This is important to me. All right? <laughs> I'll never right. forget. You wrote a great <laughs> book, man. All right. This is from Heidi, who, by the way, I have been in contact with based on, she hasn't gotten back to me yet, but she asked that one of us contact her based on the email I'm about to read. Gianni, I am a writer located in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm hoping you might consider meeting with me. I am writing a novel, not nonfiction, about the death of Marilyn Monroe. After listening to your book and podcast, I feel uh, what, what uh, I'm doing is a part of something larger than myself, and it feels indecent not to share. I respect the work you've done in the pursuit of, of uh, truth and the work with Megan and Patrick and the work you are continuing to do. I do not want to leave any stone unturned. More importantly, I want to do right by Marilyn, and I believe uh, that that means speaking with you. I have spent a major part of my life reading, studying, and attempting to understand the mysterious life Marilyn Monroe made for herself from a woman's perspective. I believe she wanted her personal life to be a mystery, which is why uh, nobody will ever tru truly know her full story, and pre precisely why I'm looking to tell a story and not solve a mystery. A lot of what I want to share is best not communicated through written text, but if I were to sum it up, what if... Her true cause of death uh, was actually an accidental overdose. After listening to episode 168 of the Hollywood Godfather podcast, posted May 3rd, I found the will to reach out as well as the fact that, uh, I, have, that uh, I have one month from today to write without, uh, without work interrupting. What can I say? Uh, writing uh, unpublished doesn't pay the bills, at least not yet. If you're available, the sooner the better for me. If you're in Nashville, Tennessee, I would love to meet up. I also, uh, I'm also available to travel. Thank you for your time. I hope to hear from you soon. Let me jump in here. Yeah, please. Uh, yes, she asked a legitimate question of you, and I, I know you're, you're extremely busy, so I answered her uh, as a friend of the. She's a friend of the podcast now. I said, anything that that we can do to help, short of you flying out to wherever she is to talk to her, you know, uh, we will definitely do. But I think we've covered. Mal Monroe's life and causes of death extensively here. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, de we definitely did. And as you know, and only you know, we're going further about into it, but that's going to be in for additional writings of ours. Yeah. So, I mean, it's uh, there's only so yeah. much we could share. Yeah, she's going to uh, uh, appear in Gianni's life again through the written words. It's, well, uh, put it at that but anyway Heidi I did send you an email today responding to this and uh, we're always we're always glad to help any of our listeners okay from Chase oh here's something that actually helped me this guy uh, that I wasn't aware of this guy Chase he says he's addressing this to me hey are you still in business I noticed a few major issues with your website so I looked on my website and guess what it's not there. The Your website's gone? My website, my PI website. 
Oh, wow. What happened? I mean, how often do you go to your own website? I never do. Who pays the fees on it each year? Uh, well, it was there six weeks ago uh, when I went uh, for some reason. But if I go on it two or three times a year just to see what it looks like, because I've forgotten already, uh, uh, you know, I see it. It's there. It's not there anymore. It is gone. I pay $100 a year to keep the website going. Yeah, that's all 99 I, I, I looked in my in my uh, checks and, and, and consulted my my accountant, a very capable CPA whose name is Susan. I said, <laughs> I I said well. uh, what was yeah, when was the last time I, I paid maintenance for this website? It took about a half an hour. <laughs> she, she said six years ago. Oh, my God. That's well, why. it's been up there ever since, and I just forgot about it. I never got a bill. The website's gone. You're, you're lucky that somebody didn't steal it. Then you have to buy it back from them. Now that, I know, you're, but now that you're a big celebrity. Somebody, somebody could buy the name. The, 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 the website was condopi.com, and I just found out maybe an hour ago that the thing is gone. Oh, that's wild. So I'm going to have to work on that. Maybe I'm going to have to do a new website. Who the hell knows? Anyway. Well, as long as nobody's using the name, you just put it back up. Yeah. Re-register I it. I want to make some improvements on it, on it anyway. Uh, okay, from Travis. Hey, crew. Just wanted to say I'm almost caught up with every episode, and each one is its own treasure. I like this guy already. Yeah. Hey, uh, I know you guys only do uh, an hour show, but I could easily listen to a three plus hour show if you ever did any. I want to thank you for reading my past email questions on Ralph Lamb uh, when I uh, went to the Golden Steer and they absolutely knew you and one of your former employees from uh, State Street is a waiter there now. Yep. Well, that's a while ago. He's still in the waiting business after 40 years. Well, I had a lot of young kids too, though. They were, in their, you know, they were in their 20s. I, I mean, a lot of kids. One kid that worked for me, Gino Lapinto, he started with me when he was twelve. I was, I'm his, actually his godfather for confirmation. And what's he, he doing now? He worked up. You won't believe this story. He worked in valet. He worked when he could come in in the house as a DJ. Then he became a bar back. Then he became a bar manager. Then he knew every part of my business, and when I closed my place, I he went to work for Dre, a very close friend of mine, and Dre owned the best clubs in the world. Dre's, Dre's at the Wynn, Dre's Beach Club. And now Gino, I'm happy to say, owns 11, who has the only 24-hour, seven-day-a-week liquor license in Miami. How did he manage that? Hello. And he bought the building next door, converted it into a hotel, sold those 400 some units immediately, and is building another tower. Wow. And, he, and he, in many interviews, he gave me a lot of accolades saying, you know, I was trained by Gianni, my godfather, and he's, I mean, he's such a success. How so, old is he now? He's probably in his early 50s, probably mid 50. Well, you put him on the right road, that's for sure. Yeah, thank God, but he's such a nice kid. Okay, but this thing goes on. Uh, Travis goes on to say, uh, so I have uh, a possible show idea rather than a question. I was watching the original Ocean's Eleven recently. For those of you who don't know, there was a 1960s movie starring uh, uh, Frank Sinatra and and, uh, the rest of the Rat Pack about ripping off a hotel, a whole bunch of hotels in Vegas. So I was watching Ocean's Eleven recently, uh, and when they came around to the pool table, 
uh, saying that they, the, the, uh, the, the, what they'll do with their cut of the heist. When they come to Peter Lawford, he smirks and says, I might buy myself some votes and run for office. Now, why that that seems like a throwaway comment, I've, uh, uh, I heard it and got a laugh at, and it got a laugh in the theater back when it was played, I think in 1960. Right. Uh, could you explain why that's so funny and why that comment hits close to home for him? Thanks again for all your hard work. It absolutely shows uh, on your podcast. Also, thank you for replying to my emails. That really floored me. It tells me how much, uh, how uh, it tells me how, how down to earth you both really are. Uh, not that I had any doubts. It was very nice of Trump. Oh yeah, great. That. Now, what was so the line it, that Beetle offered in the movie? Well, he wants to know the 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 line in Ocean's Eleven when they're hanging around the pool table right before the heist, and said, you know, they're asking what he's going to do. They're asking everybody what they're going to do with their cut of the of the, uh, the robberies, and he says, I think I'll. Uh, I'll uh, buy myself an election. An election? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, very apropos. So what, what Travis is saying... Well, is that's funny because we, while they were shooting that, is when I met them all, which which amazed me that, you know, they do two shows a night, 8 o'clock at midnight, then shoot all day. And his father-in-law, who happens to be Joe Kennedy... <laughs> Well, that's why was buying know, John the election. <laughs> that's why he said when he was watching this, and 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 Peter Lofford uh, comes out with that line, everybody laughed. Of course, it's a historical fact at this point that JFK bought the election. Yeah. So, but Peter Lofford was just uh, uh, playing off that in 1960 when he just bought the election, and no one knew about it. I know. But watching it now, everybody does. I'm shocked he got that's away pretty, with it. It's a pretty good catch on Travis. Too. Yeah. Uh, anyway, thank you for the compliment. It's very nice. Definitely. Thank you so much. Uh, Should we take a commercial break? Yeah, let's do that while I organize these questions. All right, please. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. We do know where you live. Yes, we do. We're introducing family dinners again. As we all know, Sunday sauce was almost abolished. Nobody wants to be cooking for five hours over sauce. So go to CorleoneFineItalian.com. You'll see a choice of four great sauces and get back to the family. In fact, we're even introducing trivia parties and dinners. Come as your favorite character as the Godfather and have dinner. Remember, CorleoneFineItalian.com. It's all there for you. It's an offer you can't refuse. I'm really excited to say to all my friends, I'll be at Pala Casino Spa and Resorts. Go to palacasino.com or call directly 760-510-5100. October 1st, one show only. It's a show you don't want to miss. All right, we're back for more mailbag. We love the mailbag. I'm continuing with the mailbag. All right, Tim. Uh, how does one get hired by your PI firm? Do you use uh, people that aren't former police officers? Uh, yeah, you know, it's. I, 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 you're looking at my PI, or you're listening to my PI firm. This is me. I'm it. Well, you I, had that one guy of, I met years ago. He seemed pretty 
in depth in helping you. Yeah. Who? <laughs> what? The one kid. What was his name? Who was working for you? Oh, uh, Chuck. What was his name? Chuck. Yeah, yeah, nice guy. The guy that I introduced you to. No, I'm just saying, I am the company, the president, vice president, treasurer, but I can't do everything myself. So I, I hire employees. Uh, they're all part-timers. In this business, there's very few full-time employees of private investigation agencies because this business really runs hot and cold, and you couldn't be just hanging around getting a weekly salary without doing anything. That said, I'm always interested in hiring people and keeping them in abeyance when I need them. I tell them that it's a it's it's a it's, it's a part time gig. I start them out at thirty dollars an hour, and when it rains it pours. When I need you, I'll call you. If you're available, fine. If you're not, I'll just move down the list to the next guy. So, people are when they come. You know, I want to see who these people are. Naturally, they'll they'll call me. They'll send me emails and send me a resume. Uh, just some retired cops. Others just want to break into the business, get their own PI license. So I don't ask typical questions. You know, I want to see if these people could think outside the box. Because this is what you have to do in this business. So as soon as they sit down and introduce themselves, here's the question I ask them. You're an airline pilot, and you're, you're a commercial airline pilot, and you're piloting a plane full of passengers going on vacation. You're flying from uh, Seattle to uh, an arbitrary city, Austin, Texas. While you're up in the air, the FBI notifies you that there's a bomb on board, and the bomb has a pressure switch on it, and if you take the plane below 4,000 feet, it's going to blow. How do you land that plane safely? And I give them a hint, as I will give my entire, our entire audience a hint now. The hint is the hound of the Baskervilles. That's the hint. And I tell them, you don't have to answer me now. You figure it out and get back to me later and let me know the answer to the question. What do you think the answer is? I'm not going to m- mention it now. I'll mention it next week. I have After no people idea. listen to it and figure it out for themselves. What's, you land the, what's the clue? The, the Hound of the Baskervilles, which is a Sherlock Holmes novel oh. written in 1888. No, yeah, no you want, clue. You're going to have to give it a lot of... I, I was, you know, I'd like to say I invented this question, but I didn't. I was asked this question when, uh, I, was in, when I retired from the NYPD. I interviewed for the CIA. Uh, as a polygraphist, not as a field agent. And they wanted to send me to Europe to conduct polygraph examinations. I did very well in the uh, the interview, but that question that I just asked was asked of me. And I wasn't expected to answer it right then and there. Uh, go home, research it, you have to get back to us in 24 hours. I figured it out. Only because of the clue. I'm a big Sherlock Holmes buff. You know me, I'm an avid reader. Right. And I was able to figure it out. But... Uh, People panic when I ask them that question. I don't know the answer to this. I'm not going to get the job. Just because you don't answer the question doesn't mean I'm not going to use you. I just want to see how you think. Come up with an answer. So we're going to save the answer till next week and let people listen to this episode and think about it. I can't wait till write. next week myself. Well, maybe write. Well, I'll tell you when we're off the air. But, uh, you know, maybe you want to write us an email and tell me what you think the answer is. There you go. And we'll, uh, we will pick uh, the people who got it right, which I assume I can count on the fingers of one hand out of the 50,000 listeners that we have. It, look, it isn't easy. Uh, I'll, I'll give you that. If you're an avid reader, you figure it out. And that's that's what the CIA was looking for. Anyway, I did well, but you know, I met Susan, got married, and the rest is history. She didn't want me going to Europe on our honeymoon. Me going to Europe on our honeymoon. 
she stays here. I go to Europe. <laughs> it didn't sit well with her. So we, we didn't we didn't do that. All right. Uh, moving along. Uh, from Tommy. Good morning. Uh, I just recently found your podcast, started it from the beginning. That's that's dedication. Thank you, Tommy. Wow, yeah. I, I finished the book twice and loved every minute of it. How could I get your autograph? Thank you and keep up the good work. Just mail it to us. There you go. Mail me the book with a with a self-addressed envelope going back to you, because a lot of people mail me the book, and then I say, okay, now what do I do? Go to... Well, you know, uh, to expand about that, it isn't the expense of sticking a couple of stamps on it. You've got to yeah. physically go to an airport. This is, you know, after the Patriot Act of uh, 2001, you can't drop packages like this in a mailbox anymore. You've got to go to the post office. Right. Uh, so, uh, as Johnny said, just drop the book in the mail. We'll get it. And put a self-addressed envelope back. I'll sign it to you, and you'll have it. Yeah. So I do it all the time, actually. We get a lot of requests for them, fortunately. Yeah. Fortunately. Okay, from Lori. I enjoyed your June program about Jewish gangsters in World War II. Lots of information I was not aware of. I'd like to suggest that you try to get John Bulldog Drummond, a Chicago organized crime reporter, on your show. No doubt you would have a lot of stories if you covered the Chicago outfit for many years and reported on Channel 2 News. Is he still alive? Apparently, because she's talking in the present tense. I'll, I'll check this guy out. I'll let yeah. you know. Uh, anyway, it was said uh, he had many contacts in that world and uh, was giving uh, lots of tips from the outfit. He would be a very enjoyable guest. I have made note of that, Laurie. And Perfect. we will look into it. See, these are the things we look forward to, all these type of Absolutely. clues. Absolutely. We're going to have some, well, at the end of the show, we can tell them about our forthcoming guests uh, who are unique, all three of them. Anyway, from Joe. I just listened, I just learned that heavyweight boxing champ Rocky Marciano died in a plane crash with the son of Chicago mobster Lou Farrell slash Frotto. I guess he went by Lou Farrell was his uh, street name. His last name was Frotto, F-R-A-T-T-O, mm -hmm. in 1969. Johnny, did you ever hear anything about uh, Marciano or any of the big name boxers and the mob? Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Hello, that's... Yeah, and would Athletes in the Mob be a, a show idea for you? Yes, it would. Uh, Joe. Anyway, keep up the great work. The boxing and the mob is synonymous. Hello. I mean, uh, just me as a kid, I could go see any fighter I wanted at the uh, Madison Square Garden with Costello. He, he always had the best seats and always invited me. So, you know, what I was, uh, I recall when I first met you five years ago when we first started the book, you sent me a tape uh, of you being, you're the guest of honor and a or boxing organization, if I recall correctly. Oh, my Remember God. That? Yeah. yeah, the AAIB. I what, still what is, am. What's that stand for? It, it's for the Retired Professional Boxers Association. And what I, did you I, get involved in that? I just like boxing, and they, they uh, uh, I do a lot of events. I do one or two events a year for them. I even do dinners in my home, and people pay $1,000 to come look at all my boxing memorabilia. And they and all the money goes to them, not to I, I buy the groceries. I do it. My dining room sits sixteen, so it's not a big deal. But sixteen thousand dollars cash for them. Yeah, that's that's very nice of you. I wasn't aware of that. I, I saw you 
making that presentation. Very well done. So you do that twice a year? Yep. Yep. Okay. Things we find out about each other. Yes. But anyway, he gives a, a, a very good uh, idea for a show, Boxing in the Mob. We'll look into that. Yep. And, uh, you know, talk about it in a little bit more detail. Okay. Uh, did you ever hear of this uh, Chicago mobster, Lou Fredo, F-R-A-T-T-O? No, I didn't. Chicago mob guy? Long before me. In the 60s, I was so involved, you know, with the Kennedys and all that yet. Yeah, Mar- Marciano died in 69 in that crash. This guy was with him. I figured maybe you heard of him. Right. From Jerome, I've been watching The Offer. I'm hoping Gianni will give us his interpretation of what happened on the set of The Godfather. He leaves it at that, but I'm, I'm thinking he wants you to compare the real experience with the, the movie uh, The Offer. Well, I haven't watched The Offer, so I, I couldn't compare it. I'm not interested in watching it because uh, the kid that played me in it was a, a very nice kid. He called. We, we, had him on we had him on the show, too. But, you know, when I started to hear about how I got my part and and uh, it, it became the, I, I did everything already. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of things that I felt offended about because I did solve some of their problems in New York City. And my reward was the Porto Carlo. I think, as everybody else is saying about the offer, why would they just hire Johnny Russo as the only unknown actor in the whole thing <laughs> when they went for thespians and Francis Ward Coppola was adamant about Pacino and professional actors? They were all professional actors, schooled actors. And John, Johnny Russo just walks on the set and gets a, that, a, a role that is like a thread through the whole movie. So what's, what's your particular objection to watching The Offer? I just don't, I, I know what went on for real. What would I be, why would I waste 10 hours of my life? I don't know. That's a good question. To, 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 to see how they screwed it up. <laughs> to, to, what no, but to me, I, I can't change it. I feel powerless about that. It's something's going to be out there. But on the other side of the coin, I'm getting a lot of recognition from it. <laughs> so, and again, you know, it's, uh, I'm involved with Corleone Fine Foods, which is an ongoing entity for me and another reward. I like to say now that all the listeners who are watching the offer and know The Godfather, if you remember the closing scene when Michael says to me, no, Carl, your punishment is you're out of the family business. Well, isn't it funny? Now I own a piece of the family business. They're all out. <laughs> and that's after you got killed. That's pretty cool. Oh, oh yeah. Resurrection. I believe in God. <laughs> you get strangled and now you're a freaking millionaire. Why does that happen? <laughs> all right. You know, speaking about, uh, about food, uh, a question from Paulie. This guy's obviously uh, connected. You're not Paul, you're Paulie. Different. Okay. Uh, many uh, people involved in the life go into the restaurant business. You have a reputation of being an excellent cook. Did you ever have a desire other than your club in Vegas years ago currently to go into the restaurant business? No. So much work. Very hard. I mean, I'm too dedicated and I'm too hands-on 
to own the restaurant I owned operated six twelve hours a day, six at night to six in the morning, seven days a week. And believe me, I loved it, but it got tiring. And then after that incident that happened, that I had to go to a ladies' rescue, Laura Manis, then it became a tar. It was like a target for tough guys coming in to see if they could beat me or whatever. So that's why I got out. But I'm glad I did. Yeah, the restaurant business, my, my father uh, was in it. Uh, he had a lot of businesses. But uh, when I was around, you know, all, all the time that uh, that he was alive, when when I was around, he died when I was 14. He always used to, and he worked like crazy hours in that business. Oh, yeah, his, that's his, what it is. This place was on, uh, right down a block from Fifth Precinct, in the little, little right. area, right on the corner of Bade and Elizabeth. It's still there. It's uh, it was the Red Rose at the time. Now it's a Chinese restaurant. Uh, it actually killed him. He had a heart attack. He died. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's that the pressure. Who's not showing up? Who's not? You know, what orders didn't come in? I mean, I, I mean, I got to say one thing. though. my my business was so lucrative. I mean, I mean, who opens a restaurant? Sammy Davis, Sinatra, and Dean Martin. Do the whole first weekend as a favor. <laughs> it must have helped business. That got you off the ground. That got me off the ground. And any time they were in town, they were there. They came in. It was that kind of a place. Yeah, but that's, uh, you know, to, to answer Paulie's question. Well, I'll tell you what, what my father uh, texted me. I mean, he quoted, uh, he was very profound, said a lot of things that I still remember. Two things I never want you to do. Never go into the restaurant business and never become a cop. Well, you only did one. <laughs> well, so maybe he's doing like half a flip in his grave, you know, but he was used to, you know, the cops of the 1950s. We had to pay people. And I say we, but I was involved in it as a kid. Right. I mentioned it many times on the podcast that I would, I was the one who distributed the envelopes once a month. Oh, in the yeah. Bar. I had that's a, it. Box. Cops used to come in. I used to pay them. You know, so that's, that's the police department then. And that's the police department he grew up with. There were a bunch of thieves. Uh, he never wanted me to be in the NYPD because the job has changed, life has changed. But yes, that whole of- time, it's ironic because you were doing that, and I was doing the same thing for Costello, dropping envelopes for them. Yeah, yeah. Same situation. Here we are. Okay, from Phyllis, Patrick. You mentioned the tactical patrol force occasionally. I did a little computer search. Uh, on it and found that it was disbanded. Uh, can you tell me anything about that? What was the Tactical Patrol Force and what did they do? Tactical Patrol Force, known as the TPF, uh, was the elite of the NYPD in a time where the city was falling apart. Uh, those of us who recalled New York in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, it was a cesspool. Oh my God, yeah. Like it is now. But, uh, yeah, it's back to right where it was. Yeah, well, you know, history but uh, in 1960, a unit was formed by the then police commissioner, Michael Codd, who was a straight shooter, incorruptible guy. And what he wanted was a, a strike force of cops, of incorruptible cops, uh, which was rare at the time, that could go any place at any time and solve the crime problem. Can you imagine uh, a, 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 a mayor or a police commissioner putting that idea on the table now. Oh, my God. We were volunteers. You had to be six feet tall. 
they liked college educated, but they couldn't get too many college educated cops at that time. And we were uh, reactive. We went to where the problems were. The precinct cops even hated us because we used to go into their precinct. We had no command. We didn't show up at any place. We literally lived out of our cars, out of the, the, the out of the trunks of our cars. We were called every day at home. There were no cell phones back then. And they would the, the TPF office downtown would call us and say, this is where you're working tonight. Jump in your car and you go. We were in a lot of these station houses, these precincts, uh, the cops would not allow us in. Uh, they just didn't like us because we would go into their area where they had to go to work every day and we would kick ass and, and make noise and cause a disruption, but we'd solve the crime problem, but then we would leave and then go somewhere else. Yeah. So the police in that precinct would have to deal with it, have to deal with the aftermath after we were gone. Especially but if I they that, were taking envelopes from certain people that were being well, harassed I, by you guys. <laughs> you know, in some of these commands, like we worked a lot in, uh, in uh, Bed-Stuy, East New York, uh, South Bronx. Uh, every day was different. Every day was a different high crime area. And I can't say every day. Sometimes we would stay in a particular command for a week because they're having problems with uh, with the street robberies or problems with stolen cars, problems with drugs. We stayed there, literally clean it up, and then we'd leave. And uh, that didn't sit well with the rank and file. And I don't blame them because whatever we did, we didn't have to suffer the consequences when we'd be out the next day. How long but, would you stay there? Months or just so our in, audience knows? In TPF or in a particular person? What's that? In a particular precinct or in TPF? No, in, in general, what that would take you well, normally that, to do. We, we would be there as long as it took to solve the problem. And I tell you, there were no rules back then. There were no... Uh, I mean, we would see somebody we didn't like. We'd throw them up against the wall, search them, and take whatever we, we we found, lock them up. It was all drugs, voucher everything, clean everything up, drag people out of cars. That's the way it was done. So you, you were there a matter of weeks? Weeks. Could be a week, could be three weeks, no longer than three weeks. That's what that I'm would, talking about. Yeah, I just wanted to know that. Yeah, but we would, uh, I mean, picture. It sounds like it would work now. That would never, well, they disbanded the unit in uh, 1983. First, they changed the name of it, Tactical Patrol Force. They didn't like the word force, so they changed it to the Tactical Patrol Unit, like it was going to make a difference. Yeah. Because the people in it were still out there kicking ass and taking names and locking people up, and eventually it became uh, politically incorrect, and they disbanded the unit shortly thereafter. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, picture, this was mostly uh, foot patrol. It was you and your partner on foot, and we stopped cars you stand in the middle of the street and just stop cars. Try doing that now. You get run over. Oh, yeah. They shoot you while they were driving past you, too. Yeah. <laughs> right? if, they, if, they, if you didn't get out of the way, you were in big trouble. But that was the essence of the unit. That was a, It was an elite unit. In fact, we were, uh, during the first police corruption trial that uh, that happened when I was a cop, it was called a NAP commission. It was in the, the early 70s, and it exposed uh, the corrupt NYPD. It was, it was on television every day. People were glued to their sets. But Bill Phillips was a corrupt cop. Uh, and he testified for, for weeks. He was a corrupt uh, plainclothesman. And then they had Frank Serpico come on, who was an wow. honest cop trying, yeah. trying to survive in a, in a, in a corrupt department. Uh, Al Pacino uh, played him in the movie, aptly titled uh, Serpico. And Serpico uh, testified under oath, of course, and he made uh, mention of the tactical patrol force as the cleanest unit in the NYPD. And I was happy to be part of that. And I volunteered for it right out of the academy because I didn't want to get involved in all that dirt. I didn't want to get involved in corrupt police work. And I went directly there 
the thing with the, with TPF is you get burned out really quickly. And I, I managed to stay three years. That was about the average, I think. And I had to get out. It was just after a while, I got to be a little bit too much. We were in fights every day. Uh, the Vietnam police, the, the Vietnam peace riots, I should say, but peace, these riots, yeah, that was a Freudian slip. Peace demonstrations turned out to be riots and we would have to wade into these crowds mm. and it was brutal. The only cop ever killed in TPF was killed at the uh, Columbia University riots. Wow. And I, it was it was a bad time in New York, but that was the essence of TPF. And I've been asked to write a, a history of the unit, but I just, you know, to me, what past is past. I'm, I'm very bad at writing my own history. I can write other people's, but not my own. Mm-hmm. But anyway, to answer your question, fellas, uh, that was the tactical control force. Oh. Well, I think we ran out of time. We have. Exactly. That was the last question. Well, again, thank you all for the cards, letters, questions, suggestions. We take them all. We respect you all for sending them but, to yeah. us. And you'll Gianni, be hearing us on the radio again and again and again. Give, uh, give our uh, listeners an idea of who's coming up in the next few weeks. Oh, sure. Why don't you? Okay. Well, uh, in the next couple of weeks, you're going to have to uh, look to see when we actually post these uh, interviews. Uh, Our first uh, guest up is going to be Judge Janine Pirro. She's uh, currently on Fox. She's got uh, a story career as a prosecutor, uh, innovator in uh, prosecuting sex crimes. She's been on Fox for many years uh, as, as a commentator. She's on The Five now which is on Fox, uh, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard, uh, five days a week. But anyway, she'll be our first guest. Uh, then uh, after her, we're going to have a really interesting story, of, uh, uh, a federal agent by the name of Joe Acapinti uh, was investigating a police assassination. A cop by the name of Michael Busick, and I remember this well, because I was there. He was uh, cut down, assassinated, and the uh, uh, Busick, uh, as a federal agent, doesn't get involved. You know, a murder is not a federal crime. If you didn't know that, the FBI does not investigate homicides unless it's of a sitting federal judge or the president. Anyway, he got uh, information that the uh, uh, one of the Mexican cartels was involved in his assassination and opened up a case and got so close to uh, solving it that uh, Joe, who I know personally for a long time, had to go. Now, they weren't about to kill another cop, but they were uh, open to framing him. And that's what they did. They framed him. He was convicted. And it, it, uh, the story has a happy ending. I'm not going to tell you what it is. It's, it's, the ending is astounding. Uh, it's never happened before. And I hope it never happens again. But Joe will be on, uh, on our show. And uh, after him will be a uh, gentleman by the name of Eric Cantori, who was a uh, who sold weed. Now, to take that a step further, he was tremendously successful at what he did. He was a one-man operation. He employed uh, drivers, but he was doing $500 million a year. $500 million. Yes, tons, tons of it. More than and Walgreens or CVS. <laughs> he, he, he never came up. Uh, until very late in his career, and this was a career he worked in it for many, many years. He never came up on the DEA's radar. It's a drug enforcement agency. He never came up on their radar. He had uh, one of his drivers who would drive 
truckloads, tractor-trailer truckloads uh, from the West Coast to the East Coast, was a rather famous person. If I mention her name, of a woman, you will know who it is, but uh, I'll let Eric talk about it. She was eventually caught. Uh, and that, that's that's a story in itself, which Joe, which uh, Eric rather will uh, will discuss. So three interesting guests coming up. Yeah. In- We're getting excited. And um, thank you all for your support. Tell your friends about it. We want more listeners. And we thoroughly enjoy what we do. And we enjoy knowing that you do. God well, just tonight, we got, just tonight, we got two, two show ideas and we will do them. Yep. Yep. Again, thank you all. God bless okay, you. Bye. Be safe. Good night. Johnny, have a good night. Bye-bye. Good night. If you're feeling sad and lonely, there's a service I could render. I'm the one who loves you only. I could be so warm, so tender. Call me. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but just Thank you call for tuning me. in to the Hollywood Tell Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself, Megan Horan, with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com, which is where you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather and on Facebook, as well as leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your messages. Good night. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but just call me. Tell me and I'll be around. I'll be around.